0: Hey everyone, what's up and welcome to Front Run Crypto, where we predict the future of
1: money and technology. Thank you to all of the new listeners, followers, and subscribers. Your feedback is super appreciated. If you are new to Front Run or if this is your first time with us, we are all here to Front Run what we believe is the next generation of wealth creation. And that is cryptocurrency and decentralized finance. Even in the middle of this bear market, even all the uncertainty that we're experiencing with the FTX fallout, 80% drawdowns, Bitcoin, crypto, Ethereum, it all has the potential to be a transformative technology, right? Ethereum can be the settlement layer for all major financial transactions. Bitcoin could even go as far as representing a potential new like monetary policy, one that's not beholden is defined within smart contracts. Wow, what a crazy idea. I'm your host John Cook, and it is Saturday, December 10th, 2022. This is crypto before bed. It's a 30 to 45 minute-ish highlight of all of the day's major crypto events. I've decided to launch crypto before bed because I found that so much news happens throughout the day that if you were to wait until the end of the week to try to do one massive update, it would just be like a four-hour long podcast, right? And that's not really the thesis of Front Run, right? We... Are not a news publication. Front Run has one goal, and that is to help you participate in the next generation of wealth creation. And we do this by writing hands-on tutorials, providing long-form analysis about the state of the market. We just published many, many guides, cover a couple just as a plug so you can all see the breadth that we that we're talking about. We recently posted how Grayscale's Bitcoin Premium was a leveraged Ponzi how FTX engineered a fake bailout of BlockFi, how S&P 500, the S&P 500 forecast for calendar year 2023. I've posed my prediction. We compared it against the major banks of 2022 and how they got it all wrong, how they're forecasting it to 2023. It goes on and on and on. These the long-form detailed analyses are available at frontruncrypto.com. This podcast is just in YouTube that we're going to stream live now. Try something new is a mechanism to just say, hey, here's what happened in the crypto ecosystem that you should be aware of. So for those who haven't, make sure you check out frontcrypto.com because one of the really like impactful feedback items I got is let's make sure we lead with like the hands-on part. Right. How do you build competency in anything, whether it's DeFi or in life? Uh, my philosophy, right, after a decade in finance technology, Silicon Valley is by doing. So if you go to the about section in front, run dot com, you'll see that we've pu- we've actually moved our top four hands on guides uh, to the very top. So if you're new to decentralized finance crypto in general, I encourage you to take a moment to actually go through these four guides. They're very in-depth, and I promise you, if you stick through it, you're gonna know 90%. You're gonna more you're gonna know more than like 90% of like the majority of crypto experts out there. Part one, it outlines how to transact on Ethereum, but it's really a deep dive on how to understand and calculate gas fees. Like what does it mean to have a gas fee? What what are the composition of Items that make up a gas fee that goes to the staker, that gets burnt, right? How do you calculate GUE? You're going to be a gas fee calculation master by the end of part one. Part two outlines like what it means to have a layer two roll-up, the types of layer two roll-ups, and the difference in gas fees. Part three is really a crash course on borrow, lending, and how to measure risk, right? Risk is a very quantifiable point of view, in decentralized finance and part four is an add on to that we we actually cover the mechanics of repaying a loan, preventing automatic liquidation, and we quantify something called a liquidation threshold. So if all of or any of those sound unfamiliar to you, I would actually stop all the crypto stuff you're doing and make sure you complete that first. Because if you don't know like what automatic liquidations are, how to calculate a liquidation threshold, right how do you measure risk in an asset you probably shouldn't be investing in crypto okay and all that's free of course so with that said today in bedtime before bed we're going to cover some interesting topics that i that continue it's like old is new and we deja vu every day right centralized nft metadata it's gone specifically the ftx.us exchange Uh, When are we gonna learn? We'll cover the state of the crypto thread by uh, the folks at Masari and just the hypocrisy and like their point of view on like innovation with like more centralized pre mined tokens that don't adhere to the values of crypto. We'll talk about block the block and SBF and how SBF basically bought and sold them. We call this out in our post mainstream mediocrity, but just af- this just is an affirmation to me that you have to be really careful with any mainstream media publication in traditional, in traditional media as well as crypto, right? Remember, CoinDesk is owned by DCG, which has a interest. I mean, well, back up. DCG owns genesis and grayscale right so if coindesk is going to do any comprehensive reporting on genesis or grayscale which is the trust that holds bitcoin you got to ask yourself are they really going to do it right and are they going to do it objectively my answer is no and you've already seen this been proven with with the block We'll also cover Bitcoin's capital reset. This is this concept where Bitcoin losses are converging on the spot price of Bitcoin, thereby creating a potential bottom. And we'll wrap up with some positive news that Staked Ethereum might have a release date. Right? For those who aren't sure, Staked Ethereum is a one way is one way in right now. You take 32 ETH, you become a staker, you earn yield by verifying blocks on the Ethereum blockchain, and the problem is that the eth can't be released until the ethereum foundation deploys an update which is now has a tentative target date so we'll cover that very briefly that's major news and then we'll discuss like the potential downward pressure that it could have on the ethereum market so let's start with the uh, centralized nft fiasco the folks at bankless published an article you can see this is actually all over the twitterverse but they summarized it pretty nicely, and I'll quote them: "Some NFT pop, some popular NFT platforms from the 2017, 20, 2018 era, like Ascribe, Digital Objects, and Ed, additional, eventually went under. Right, lost NFTs are nothing new. These early losses later spurred lots of advances around decentralized storage networks, as well as totally on-chain NFTs whose metadata are forever." Retrievable on the blockchain. That's the keywords words. Forever retrievable on the blockchain, right? This is only possible on completely decentralized storage networks. What are some decentralized storage networks you should know? Well, if you go to our front frontrun site, frontrun.notion.site, you'll actually see we have a wiki there, and the wiki outlines all the major uh, DeFi storage providers. I'll pull it up for you all so you can see it really quick. Uh, Airweave. Radical is co is infrastructure. Uh, This is this is a game changer, man. So like think of like a GitHub that's completely decentralized, right? Uh, There's also of course, DSO IPFS, those are really the big ones. Uh, There are some like unique spot providers like pinata and NFT storage, check those out too. But the point is that these are all web three storage facilities where unlike web two, the metadata, which is the graphics, if it's, a, if it's a JPEG, are stored in a decentralized peer-to-peer network of computers, not in one data center on AWS Cloud or Amazon or Azure Cloud, right? So that is the future that we should all aspire to. But per bank list, not everyone pays attention to the lessons of the crypto industry. For example, consider SBF of FTX. This is what his first NFT minted on FTX looked like circa 2021. For those listening on podcasts and not on YouTube, I'm displaying a picture of an NFT with the word TEST. It says TEST. That's it. T-E-S-T. was written paint. It sold for $270,000 USD. There's a point of view that this might actually be money laundering. We could set that aside for sure. But what we're conveying here is that all of the NFTs bought on the FTX.US exchange, the metadata is gone, right? It's gone. Why? Because it was hosted on a centralized provider. So Jacob.soul tweeted out, oh look, FTX hosted on all, all FTX hosted all the NFTs minted on their platform using a Web2 API. And now all of those NFTs have been broke have broken metadata and the links go to the restructuring website. And what you'll actually see if you click this tweet is a picture of the JSON object that references the uh, image, the URL actually. That now goes to the FTX website, which is now redirected to the uh, bankruptcy proceedings page. Oh, this isn't loading. Let's see if we can get this up. Cool. We'll zoom in a little bit more. Let's see if we can zoom in. So you can see here, this is the JSON object. Look at the URI. It says string HTTPS FTX.us. This is a problem. This is a problem because it's a centralized Web2 provider. It's probably, probably Azure AWS. So I want to sidebar very briefly and show all you guys how you can do this for your NFT because you really should... If you have an NFT on a centralized exchange, like, uh, OpenSea will tell you this, but you should know, like, what your plan Bs are. So, for example, I went to OpenSea. I bought an NFT for funsies. You can see in the details that the metadata is centralized, but you got to know, like, what does it actually mean? All right. So, you can go to the contract address on the blockchain explorer for that particular NFT. In this case... Uh, in this case, let's see, it's the, this is PolyScan, all right. So it's, a, it's a, do this live. Okay, PolyScan, contract, read contract. And what you can see is if you go down to the attributes of the contract, you'll see something called, I think it's template URI. Yeah, template URI is the uh, open API for OpenSea. So when you call this endpoint and you pass in the token ID of your NFT, it's going to return the JSON object that uh, that outlines where your where your metadata is stored. So I'm going to copy the token ID. Did I copy it? I copied it. I'm going to paste it into the as the parameter the uh, to the OpenSea endpoint, and you can see here's the asset token uh, JSON object right here,
0: and look. Here is the here is the uh well, when you click the link,
1: it takes you to the actual uh JPEG of the NFT, which in this case is a cat, All right? So, you should do this. Make sure you understand, like, hey, my NFT is fully centralized, sufficiently decentralized, or something in between. And if it's centralized, you got to at least download the metadata, but it's probably not good enough in the long run, especially if you embrace the philosophies of decentralized finance and DeFi storage. You should look on, you should only purchase NFTs uh, where the metadata is sufficiently decentralized and that the easiest way to like think about that is to make sure you have a storage provider like uh probably IPFS is the most popular one. So moving on, uh not to be FTX not to be undone. Ryan Selkis from Masari guy is insane. He posts a tweet thread that kind of summarizes his point of view on the state of crypto. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll read it, then we can go through it together. It says, Bad week, bad month, bad year, especially for the overlevered, greedy, unethical. All right. The long-term builders have been hurt by association, but they aren't the ones who have been perpetuating fraud or fleecing investors. Remember that sentence. They aren't the ones perpetuating fraud or fleecing investors. So he goes on to say, opaque lenders, C5 bucket shops, low float tokens like FTT, no no diligence VCs, paid personalities, all dead, good riddance. So then he goes on to say, who are the innovators? And to my surprise, this guy actually calls out Solana and Sui. Sol- uh, sorry, Aptos and Sui. Aptos and Sui. Aptos and Sui are pre-mined Layer ones that are competing with Ethereum—they literally have billions of dollars of VC money behind it. I think Sui is a derivative of the. D- and the whole point of this is that the statement made was. Innovators remain, VCs are dead, the shills are gone, but look at the freaking Aptos Foundation, right? The Afto, the Aptos Foundation, which holds the APT token, it was all pre mined from from CoinDesk. The initial token supply of Aptos tokens at Monday's mainland launch mainland launch was one billion, with some five hundred ten million committed to uh distribution. Distributed to community members, 190 million to core developers, and the remaining to Apdo Aptos Foundation and private investors. So the Aptos Foundation holds like 50%, 50% that will be released over the next 10 years. And you got to call out this like 510 million distributed to community members, it's pro rata discretion of Aptos, right? And here's the crazy part here's the, uh, uh, the token supply curve over the next ten years, and you you can see like the play out between. Uh, for those listening, it's uh, the x axis is time, and the y axis is total circulating supply. It goes up, right, and you can see. It, it looks so misleading because you see like multiple colors. So you're like, oh, that's that's appropriately distributed amongst a wide variety of stakeholders, but it's not, right? Found, like the foundation, the investors, the core contributors, the community, that's all the same people, man. It's all the same people, right? It, it's such a hack and, and it, it only gets worse. I saw this uh, Aptos blockchain, Saw this come up yesterday, or maybe it was the day before. Aptos block, Aptos start blockchain startup, Aptos Labs settles one billion dollar investor lawsuit. And the gist of this is that Aptos Labs settled a lawsuit with LA entrepreneur. Oh, the hell with an LA entrepreneur who claimed that uh, his asset dropped 50% because it did, right. If we go to Coindesk, we could follow on. Aptos debuts its blockchain, putting millions in VCs to the tests, right? Oh, Aptos is the brainchild behind several ex-meta employees who failed the uh, DM stablecoin, right? Aptos secured $200 million in funding led by A16Z. Series A, fa- Series A led by FTX Ventures and, and Jump Crypto, right? The second round reported the valuation at $2 billion, four times higher than the company's previous rounds. So what happened is when this launched, when Testnet launched, right, the VCs, at, le- at least some of the VCs, dumped their coin onto uh, onto the retail traders. I wonder if we can see Aptos on uh, trading desk. Let's see Aptos USD. I'm pull this up really quick. Aptos US Aptos US dollar coinbase. And you can see if we just go to zoom out to all. Unbelievable, dude. It dropped like 50%. 50% from its peak. I bet no revenue accrues to the Aptos Aptos token. So Ryan Selkis, I think you got it wrong, dude and what's crazy is masari is a really good platform that i use to like research uh to research like tokenomics it's very important like for example you can go to masari you can type in ethereum and you can actually see the token supply schedule right you can go to profile and then token economics and then it outlines like the initial uh, launch and token allocation and like the distribution, right? And uh, the actual supply schedule, which you can see here is, uh, it's pretty flat, even the same thing for FTT. But when you type in Aptos, it doesn't actually have it, which is wild because even on completely pre-mined, uh, NF pre-mined layer ones, you'll still see the analytics. Like It's not there. I don't know if it's intentional, but like, dude, that is like a, that is an odd look. It only shows a circulating supply, 130 million tokens. Dude, but even for FTT, you can look at the FTX token and you can see a metrics and you can see the supply schedule for the FTT token, right? It's all there something's fishy. We can reject this. Any at this point within the DeFi within the DeFi landscape, I'm quite apprehensive against any layer 1 where the majority of the tokens are pre-mined granted to investors and then dumped on the retail public at some point in the future. It's generally doesn't it, it doesn't adhere to like the philosophies of decentralized finance. But another thing that doesn't Adhere to DeFi is SBF, right? Uh, on the Twitterverse, exclusive SBF, we secretly funded crypto news site The Block for over a year with money funneled to the block CEO from the disgrace Sam Bankman Fried cryptocurrency. Just when you think it couldn't get any worse, it gets worse and i'm so over like reporting on sbf and ftx but i just got to call this out like maybe a month ago we wrote an article on uh on just main it was called mainstream mediocrity and it's how uh corporate media and even certain news articles or news publishers within the crypto system uh are really bought and sold by uh by by money right Within the mainstream mediocrity article, I outlined like a bunch of different publications uh, that just like they just completely missed the mark. And at the very freaking top, we have the block on the left hand side, they posted like an article about the Alameda CEO and how they frame her as like a savant. And then on the but then this, this clearly got a lot of heat Twitterverse backlash for sure because it doesn't outline any of, any of her follies or participation. So the publisher like went and backtracked the headline to try to make a little more, um, a little more uh, objective, and not not an attempt to like cast her in such a favorable light. This is the block. So with that in mind, is it any freaking surprise that like the block CEO is uh, accepting money from SBF, who's funneling it from FTX? Let's read the article together. The payments which employees of the block were previously unaware of could undermine the news company's credibility and cast doubt on its coverage of SBF, who the now-bankrupt FTX and Alameda Research uh, oversee Bankman's trading firm. One in 16 million batch of funding from Alameda was used in part to finance the purchase of an apartment in the Bahamas for the block's CEO.
0: Unbelievable. The block CEO resigned and is leaving the company. The block's. This is why, if there's ever a scenario where.
1: Are there any conflicts of interest that are preventing this person from objectively reporting the truth? This could be in the form of a sponsorship. Uh, It could be in the form of like uh, a YouTuber trying to push or shield their coin, but you got to be super careful, man. And always do your own due diligence. Like if there's, if there is a publication that you read, I encourage you to actually look at its disclosures and see like what it's, where where its financial interests lie. That will ultimately determine the type of reporting the publication does or does not do. So the block, RIP, we're never going to read them again. They're also beholden to the billionaire class. Now, one important topic that we have to cover, and I'm going to keep pressing this. We talked about this last week and the week before. We're going to talk about it again. It's fundamentals of tokens, right? Specifically, we're going to focus on, uh, let's see if we
0: can find, pull this up, lending protocols on, lending protocols on Ethereum. So token.
1: Dollars over the past year, the collapse of UST and Luna was particularly hard hitting. For the DeFi lending market, with total volume across major lending protocols dropping from twenty-two billion to fourteen billion. This is denominated in U.S. dollars, right? So it's it's actually saying that the volume of currency traded occur- across all platforms, lending protocols, uh, over the past two over really since May two thousand and twenty-two, dropped from twenty-two billion dollars to fourteen billion dollars uh in 2 weeks and is now at 8 billion dollars right so that's one aspect to consider the impact of major black swan events like the terror uh, the UST luna collapse for sure but the point we're emphasizing here is what is the role that uh that Lending platforms with
0: incentive tokens have on the long-term viability of the lending platform, right?
1: This, is, this means it's a marketing expense. Tokens are being given to uh, participants who use like Ave on Arbitrum. Uh, as an incentive to use Ave on Arbitrum and not like lender borrow on Compound, right? As an example, lending protocols that give out the most token incentives typically also have the most successful launches when measured by volume, right? But this comes at the cost of negative token earnings, right? This means the tokens are inflationary. Optimism is an inflationary token, right? This trend remains true for lending protocols regardless of the date of their launch, which may be in drastically different stages of the market cycle. Using Aave as an example. Ave's borrowing volume and optimism dissipated after the OP token incentive ran out, right? So look. This I, I this is like crazy. Uh there's two parts to this chart for those who are listening on. But uh, borrowing, borrowing volume June 2022 was like six billion dollars on on uh, aave across all chains: Ethereum, Avalanche, Optimism, Polygon. Right. But uh, the Optimism liquidity mining program went live June 30th, 2022. Right. This is the OP token given to users as an incentive to use Optimism to do DeFi stuff, right?
0: And you can see when it launched on uh, no, June 30, 2022. What, four billion to five, from zero to a billion
1: on Optimism. So, zero to a billion from July to August on optimism, specifically looking at Aave's borrowing volume, right? But look what happens on November 6, 2022 when the incentive program ended. Aave's borrowing volume on optimism decreased from, from 900 million to 5 million. $5 million in one week. So, Think about that. The uh, Ave is on optimism. Optimism initiates a liquidity mining program.
0: Utilization, which is the borrowing volume of Ave, like pretty much goes to zero.
1: Right. As of November seventh, as of twenty-seventh, November 2022, Ave's borrowing volume and optimism remains only at four million dollars, right? And just a just a reminder, guys, that um there's a another dimension that you can that you can add on to this. And Lending borrow lending protocols with the largest borrowing volumes following their launch also tend to have negative earnings, right? So this is revenue minus re- revenue minus uh, earnings is negative, right? So that means no, that's borrowing cost minus earnings is negative. What is what did these guys say up here? Let's scroll through this really quick. Yeah, negative earnings. This is wrong. So. Uh, Incentives get paid out
0: minus the revenue that's collected. The incentive payout is greater than the revenue. So what can we take away from this is if you're going to mine
1: tokens on any type of lending platform,
0: demand is probably, I would say it's synthetic. It's not real demand. It's on a, it's based on
1: But let's move on. Let's move on to Bitcoin. Uh, the Capital Reset. Glassnode published a really good article. You all got to check it out. It's ba- it basically outlines considerable co- consolidation above cycle lows following a few weeks in the wake of the FTX implosion. Price action has seen a strong recovery. We- and then they go on to, ex- to explore the severity of losses experienced by market participants in what they called the largest deleveraging event in history. What I want to call out is the realized profit and loss, right? Realized price action continues to decline; severity of loss diminishes. What does that mean, right? So, both the June 2022 sell-off, the FTX implosion, prompted investor capitulation events that are that are at that are of a historical scale. The FTX event recorded an at the high one-day loss of negative four billion dollars. However, assessed within a weekly moving average, loss appears to be subsiding. All right, June sell-off by comparison sustained over negative seven hundred million dollars in losses each day for almost two weeks, right? So the losses uh wow. So the losses in the June sell-off were greater than the FTX implosion, right? It'd be seven million times fourteen times ten, seven billion. So it's about eighteen, nineteen billion that was lost, right? In the June sell-off, and FTX recorded a one-day loss of negative four billion, right? So what they're going, what they go on to say is that um, the ratio between realized profit and realized loss, realized profit is uh, the difference between your acquisition price of the token and when you actually sell it, uh, if it's if the your sell price is lower than your acquisition price, then it's a realized loss. Otherwise it's a realized gain. Unrealized means you're negative but you haven't sold it. So if you bought Bitcoin at fifty thousand and it's trading at eighteen thousand, you have an unrealized loss of maybe thirty thousand. But uh, it's unrealized. They haven't sold it, right? So they go on to say the severity of losses is diminishing, right? So as the price goes down on Bitcoin, uh, the severity of losses also decreases. I mean, and that makes sense. You have new—it's a combination of new participants as well as existing whales continuing to double down on Bitcoin, thereby adjusting their cost basis to this new—at the new all-time low, really, over the past, like, in two years, so this indicates losses locked in the market were 14x larger than profit-taking events. It is, likely, it is likely this in part reflects how the entirety of the 2022 cycle price action is above the spot price. And then it goes on to outline uh, the realized profit loss ratios over the 2011, 2015, 2018 cycle and a really easy way to conceptualize this is that people who bought at the peak have the highest realized loss but as the as new participants acquire more bitcoin it pushes down their realized loss because they're buying at a lower spot price, which decreases like this, which decreases the seven day moving average of the realized profit loss ratio. Some of these metrics are kind of wonky. Like I guess the what I want to take away from this is that uh, new participants as well as existing buyers are buying more Bitcoin at a lower spot price, which is reducing their cost basis. Last but not least, we can wrap this up. On Twitter, Ethereum developers target March 2023 for release of stake ether. That's that's amazing. And this is like worthwhile for sure. Staked Ether withdrawals are coming according to Coindesk, while Proto-Dank which is a way to aggregate transactions, right, such that the Bitcoin or sorry the Ethereum blockchain will have higher throughput. Uh, that will happen oh in the in a following hard fork in the fall. Wow, so they're actually separating it out. Hmm. So, according to CoinDesk, Ethereum developers determined on Thursday that the network's next hard fork called Shanghai will have a target release time frame of March 2023. This upgrade will include AIP 4895, which will enable the block uh which will enable the beacon chain uh to withdraw ETH.
0: Hmm. Hmm.
1: This then it goes on to talk about other like initiatives with uh, upcoming EIP scheduled for hard forks in the fall, like EIP 4844, which is proto dank sharding that will split up uh, again the networks into shards, which are like blobs as a way to increase its capacity and bring down gas fees. I think the call, the, although this is interesting, uh, for sure appreciated, but to call out that beacon chain push to withdrawals, uh, beacon chain push withdrawals as operations. How much of downward pressure will this cause on Ethereum, the token? So maybe we can look up staked ETH, Lido, Dune Analytics, and we can see I think like 12 or 13% of the total staked ETH population. 12 or 13% of the total ETH population is staked. Go into this Lido Finance Extended. Let's see, this one has like 384 subscribers. So we load up the Dune Analytics dashboard. I'm trying to figure out like what percentage of the total ETH population uh, ETH network is staked. ETH staked with Lido.
0: Let's zoom in here. Hmm.
1: Yeah, 4 million ETH staked. 4 million Lido ETH deposited. Yeah, ETH staked with Lido. 4 million ETH. 107,000 ETH depositors. Lido staking APR. Uh, ETH staked with Lido. So of the total... Wow, Lida represents thirty percent of the total ETH stake population. That's pretty impressive, right? I think it's by far the single largest uh derivative staking provider on Ethereum. Yeah. So maybe it's uh four million, four point five million ETH. So as one way to think about this is um it's lim- it's similar to proof of work actually. There will be like an inverse relationship between the number of staked ETH and the and the yield or APR of the stake ETH. As more participants deploy ETH to be staked, it pushes down the APR. As participants withdraw their ETH with this upcoming Shanghai upgrade, it will push up the APR. So you're going to end up having this equilibrium where market participants will be incentivized to stake ETH because they'll earn a higher yield. I don't actually think there's much of an incentive to stake ETH right now because it's only paying 4.5%. This is lower than the risk for rate of return. Six-month treasury bills are paying 4%. That's backed by the U.S. government. So there isn't much incentive for new participants to stake ETH. These are existing participants, uh, probably from like 2017, 2018, when the beacon chain was first deployed. Staking ETH, waiting for the ETH to uh, be unlocked via the next upgrade, which will ultimately cause participants to withdraw ETH, which will drive up the APR, which will push participants to deposit ETH, which will drive down the APR until there is an equilibrium. So this is not going to be in the world. This is going to be supply demand, supply and demand dynamics that continue to permeate. Cool. So that's it. Lots of lots of great content today. NFT metadata, Ryan Salk's hot take, uh, the block. Always be aware of what you're reading and who's sponsoring it. Token fundamentals always make sure you understand, like lending protocol incentives and what actually happens at the conclusion of the token mining, uh, liquidity mining events. You can actually clearly see downward pressure and reduced participation on all on all lending protocols that have any liquid mining, uh, liquidity mining program. Bitcoin's spot price is converging with. The, uh, unre- with the participants who acquire Bitcoin, their profit and loss is converging with the spot price such that the unrealized as well as realized profit and loss ratio are converging to s- smaller and smaller numbers, which could be a signal for a bottom. And last but not least, Ethereum developers are... Announcing the Shanghai upgrade, which will unlock all the stake ETH by March 2023. Wow, that's a lot of news for one day. If you guys want more details, you can all you can see all the you can see all of it in the show notes. We'll leave some feedback if you hate it. Leave some feedback if you want more long form analysis. Check out frontruncrypto.com. Hit the subscribe button.
0: Otherwise, see y'all next time. Peace.